Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. In this segment, I'm with Keaton Ross, who covers democracy for Oklahoma Watch. Last week, he combed through dozens of campaign finance reports and found that incumbent state lawmakers have been making big donations to state legislative campaigns. Keaton, how much have sitting lawmakers contributed to those races uh, in this election cycle? Looking at reports that were covered August 9th through October 24th, and then I also went through, when I was going through them last week, uh, continuing contributions that have to be uh, reported uh, as they're coming in and in the final days and weeks leading up to the election. All of those combined um, fell just short of $100,000. Uh, a small portion of that was folks that uh, ran in 2020 and, and were defeated and still had uh, some funds left over. But uh, most of that was coming from from lawmakers who who are incumbent, who are in the legislature. Now, are those personal donations just, you know, out of pocket or are they using money from somewhere else? It's a mix. It Based on what I went through, it was mostly campaign campaign funds that, that were coming from that account that they were um, just transferring to, to candidates. But there was also a mix of, uh, you know, you'd see a $100 check or a $50 check going all the way up to $2,000, $2,500. So mostly campaign funds, but but not exclusively. Is there a limit on how much lawmakers can contribute? The limit is $2,900 per election cycle, uh, and that can be uh, either your campaign funds or a a personal contribution. Have any concerns been raised about this practice of of lawmakers transferring uh, campaign funds to one another? There there has been... uh, some concerns raised in previous years for, for a couple of different reasons. One, uh, when you start pulling all this money together, um, putting it toward candidates in, in these races where, uh, a lot of times if, if it's a house district, it's, it's, you know, around 38, 39,000 people. If it's a Senate district, it's, it's 80,000 people or so in that district. So, uh, you're not tr- reaching as many people as a statewide race. And when you have donations coming in, uh, that that can have a big influence, one, on, uh, you know, the, the odds of, of you getting your message out there and getting elected. Uh, so if there's a lot of money coming in there, they could ha- they could theoretically have a lot of, of sway in who serves alongside them. And and the other thing is just the, you know, if, if you give someone a donation, there's the natural question of are they going to be uh, beholden to you in some way if they're elected. Uh, so so there have been concerns raised in, in those couple of areas. I think, isn't there maybe a concern, too, that as as a donor to a campaign, if I were to donate $1,000 uh, to you because you're running for a house seat or whatever, and a year or two goes by and you still have that money in your war chest, uh, you transfer it to another candidate, um, my money may end up going to somebody I, I don't support. Uh, has that concern been raised at all? Um, in my in my reporting, I I didn't see that specifically, but I'm sure that it, in in theory that is something that could happen for sure. Uh, any momentum to change the rules around that? 
So there was there was a proposal in the in the ethics commission in 2018 that that would have done this. Um, I contacted the the person who was on the ethics commission and and sponsored it, and uh, he basically told me that it it just didn't get much momentum and and kind of fizzled out. So um, we're kind of so it's been a few years since there was maybe a push or a, a look at it. Um, so these are um, the rule the rules uh, we have now. Uh, which race attracted the most money from sitting lawmakers? That race is the House District 45 race in, in East Norman. Uh, it's been, it was very competitive in, in 2020, and now the incumbent Marilyn Bell is not seeking re-election. So uh, you have uh, two newcomers in, in a race that, um, one of the few state house races in Oklahoma that, you know, is, could, could kind of swing either way. So kind of a, a mix of those two things. Um, I saw about $20,000 from lawmakers going into that race over that uh, early August to early November period. Now you talked uh, to both of the candidates in that race. Uh, were they surprised at all by the uh, donations from the sitting legislators? Teresa Sterling, the Republican who's running in that race, she's received uh, about $14,000 from these lawmakers. Uh, I called her and she said she's she's been pleasantly surprised uh, by it. Uh, but, you know, she told me that it's it's not going to to have a sway in how she votes. And, and that was the, the same thing I heard from Annie Menz, the, the Democrat who's running. Um, she worked as a as a assistant in the state Senate. And she says, you know, um, I was kind of aware this is a practice, um, that sort of thing, and I'm I'm not concerned about conflicts of interest. Um, so that's that's at least what what they told me. All right. Well, thanks, Keaton. You can read all of Keaton Ross's investigative work on democracy in Oklahoma at OklahomaWatch.org, where you can also subscribe to his weekly Democracy Watch newsletter. I'm with reporter Ari Fife, who covers race and equity for Oklahoma Watch. She recently wrote a story about an interim study held by Senator Jessica Garvin that was focused on improving the state for women. Ari, where did the idea for that study come from? So Senator Senator Jessica Garvin actually requested the study back in July after seeing an article from Wallet Hub that was ranking the best and worst states for women. To be clear, Wallet Hub is a personal finance website. They're not experts in state politics, but they do put out articles like this one pretty regularly, ranking states on various criteria. And the one that Senator Garvin was looking at placed Oklahoma in the 51st slot. So were the topics included in the study uh, based on some of the topics that Wallet Hub used? Yeah, so the Wallet Hub article focused on economic and social well-being, healthcare, and safety. And they based their ratings on about 25 factors, including baby friendliness, the quality of women's hospitals in the state, and median earnings for women. And the interim study covered a lot of those same topics, including domestic violence prevalence, the state's gender wage gap, and healthcare access issues. So what were some of the biggest takeaways? So um, on the economic side, one of the biggest uh, 
focuses was the fact that women in Oklahoma are paid less than people in many other states, partly because the gender earnings gap in Oklahoma is greater than the national average. Another big focus was the fact that domestic violence rates in the state have trended upward since 2011, and 2021 data is expected to increase again. And um, another big focus was the fact that there are only 44 hospitals in Oklahoma where women can have a baby, and those are concentrated mainly in Oklahoma and Tulsa counties, meaning that rural women are going to struggle a lot more to get the care they need. What was left out of that discussion? So Senator Garvin said at the beginning that the study was supposed to be bipartisan and non-biased, and so they wouldn't be discussing abortion. Instead, she wanted to discuss issues that everyone in attendance could agree on. Uh, Outside of the interim study, Senator Garvin has been active um, on the issue of abortion. She co-sponsored House Bill 4327, which went into effect before the fall of Roe v. Wade and was described at the time as the nation's strictest, strictest abortion ban. It prohibited all abortions except in, exception, or except in instances of rape and incest. Did, uh, did the study get any pushback? So Erica Lucas was there to discuss gender-based economic inequality. She's the founder of two organizations uh, that provide resources to minority and female entrepreneurs. And she said that she thought abortion wasn't a partisan issue and focused a lot of her discussion on um, the ways that abortion access can affect the career trajectories of women and men. And uh, did did Senator Garvin uh, expand on any of that? So I actually had a follow-up phone call with her after the interim study, and there she said that she's had hours-long discussions with friends, family, constituents about abortion, but she was aware that the interim study would be confined to about two hours and that participants weren't going to come to a consensus within that time period. And so she wanted to focus on instead on some of the systemic issues that push women to have abortions, like a lack of a stable job or home or um, insufficient child care options. Uh, did you talk to uh, anybody else uh, on, on the topic, experts or anybody about what they did or did not include in the interim study? So I talked with Kim Garrett, who's the founder of Palomar, an organization that provides resources to domestic violence victims. She said that there's a well-researched link between abortion and women's ability to contribute to the economy and likelihood of facing domestic violence. And she said that link um, isn't being discussed properly in Oklahoma, and she wishes that it would have been discussed more in the interim study. I also talked with Dr. Mary Clark, who's a former president of the Oklahoma State Medical Association, and she was another presenter there to discuss um, healthcare access issues. She said she was glad that Erica Lucas spoke up, but she wasn't sure if a greater discussion about abortion would have changed legislators' minds. That's all right. Well, thanks, Ari. Uh, You can read all of Ari Fife's reporting on this topic and other issues related to race and equity on our website, oklahomawatch.org. 
Lionel Ramos covers race and equity for Oklahoma Watch. He just published a story about a charter bus initiative that the Choctaw Nation started to get more people to the polls uh, during early voting. And they, they're in a county with some of the lowest turnout numbers in the state historically. Lionel, tell us about this Choctaw Early Voting Initiative. What what was it exactly? So the Choctaw Nation uh, rounded up some of its uh, charter buses that it owned and offered to give employees and elders free rides uh, to their polls. Folks were picked up from Choctaw HQ in Durant and tribal offices and community centers around the service area and transported um, to the polling places in their precincts. Uh, it lasted only uh, the voting early voting days of Thursday and Friday before the election. So it was kind of a, a quick thing to see if they could get as many, or basically to get as many people to the polls as possible. Now, why did the uh, Choctaw Nation think it was uh, worthwhile to, to try to give free rides? Voter turnout ranks among the lowest uh, in the state in, in the counties making up the Choctaw service area. Uh, in the last midterm in 2018, 49.3% of registered voters in, in that service area cast a ballot. It makes up 11 counties. Uh, and in this year's June primaries, only 22% of registered voters cast a vote in the gubernatorial race. Uh, it was the primary numbers that alarmed Choctaw officials uh, and inspired the, the busing initiative to try and get people out. Now, why uh, did they only uh, offer that opportunity to employees and elders and not uh, all tribal members? Well, it, you know, this is the first time that the Choctaw Nation has done anything to get people physically to the polls. Uh, they really wanted to just see if people would even take advantage of it in the first place uh, and whether they should open it up to Choctaw Nation members in the future. And how many people took advantage of that? Not as many as they had hoped for. Uh, only 36 in people in total uh, took the Choctaw Nation charter bus to their polling site. Uh, like I said earlier, it was only a two-day initiative. And on Friday, November 4th, uh, a big storm swept through the southeastern part of the state. Uh, it, caught, it caused the buses to end early, and even a polling station in Idabel, which saw some of the worst tornado damage that day, to be moved via an election emergency declaration by the state election board secretary. How about, uh, how about the other tribes? Are, are the other tribal nations doing anything to try to increase turnout for this, uh, this week? Yeah, so I fielded some calls. Uh, they're not doing much on the front of getting people physically to the polls, a lot of the, uh, or really for the better part of this year, uh, a coalition of over 20 tribal nations started in it, uh, two initiatives, United for Oklahoma and then Vote Your Values, which is kind of an offshoot of that one. Um, one focuses on educating people about the impact of Native nations on Oklahoma and how necessary they are, and the other educates people on how and where to vote. Uh, neither of them push for, for any parties or candidates. Now, did mention the turnout in the uh, Choctaw service area was especially low uh, in this year's June primaries. Uh, and we will know on Wednesday uh, what turnout ended up looking like, but uh, we're recording this uh, the day of the election, so we don't have final numbers yet. Uh, uh, leading up to the election, though, how did turnout look? Did, did the efforts uh, increase early voting at all? So it's hard to say whether the the bus initiative worked to increase uh, early voting turnout. Early voting numbers in the service area this year have more than tripled when compared to 2018, though. So turnout has definitely increased when it comes to early voting. Uh, it's just it's hard to attribute it to the bus initiative, considering that there are only 36 people that rode the buses. Um, 
This year, we saw 22,017 people show up to cast an early vote through Saturday. In 2018, that number is a little hard to believe uh, at just over 7,000. Uh, needless to say, people are definitely inspired to get to the polls, bus service or not. So triple, uh, yeah. triple the turnout from a couple years ago. Oh, it, the heads of uh, the five largest uh, tribal nations in the state did something unusual in this election. They uh, had a joint press conference and all five endorsed uh, Joy Hoffmeister uh, for governor. How big an effect uh, do we think uh, that has on the vote in Indian country, all, all five of those uh, leaders standing behind one candidate. You know, uh, I was at that press event and, and there were, it was really just like the, the chiefs, um, and then the media and then their, you know, the respective PR people that were there with them, almost no members of the public. So that being said, uh, I'm sure it helped some people make a final decision, but most tribal members I spoke to in Choctaw nation were already decided on their vote. Uh, for Hoffmeister before their chief, Gary Batten, endorsed her, um, along with the chiefs of the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Muscogee, and Seminole nations. Uh, Governor's state has been at odds with tribes over the years on matters like law enforcement jurisdiction and gaming and hunting and fishing compacts, uh, and people are are frustrated by his lack of, of cooperation, as they put it. Uh, he's also a supporter of statewide school voucher program, which would spell doom for rural schools in the eyes of, of many of the people down there that I spoke to. Uh, now, not everyone in uh, Bryan County, where Durant is, where Choctaw Nation headquarters is, uh, is Native. And I did speak to a few people there, and while they didn't exactly like the thought of charter and private schools coming to rural Oklahoma, uh, they voted straight-ticket GOP. So so the, the dynamics uh, of the voters in that area are, are, are definitely um, needed to be fleshed out, for sure. All right. Well, thanks, Lionel. You can read uh, Lionel's story about the tribal push to get voters to the polls and all his other work on race and equity on our website, oklahomawatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening. This is Oklahoma Watch Executive Director Ted Struley. During the months of November and December, Oklahoma Watch is eligible for a matching grant from the Miami Foundation under their Newsmatch program. The Miami Foundation matches dollar for dollar every single donation given to a nonprofit news organization like ours that's participating in the program. That means that if you donate $5 a month, we get a match for $60. They match the entire year. If you can offer $10 a month, they'll match the whole year's worth $120. For $50 a month, they'll match $300. 
every nickel you give is matched by the Miami Foundation as long as we receive it between November 1st and December 31st. And as a bonus, if you happen to be a brand new donor, we get an additional grant if we reach 100 new donors in the last two months of the year. If you enjoy the work we do at Oklahoma Watch, if you appreciate our investigative reporting, our holding government officials accountable, Take just a moment, please, and visit us at OklahomaWatch.org, find our support page, and pledge $5 a month, $10 a month, $50 a month, whatever you're comfortable doing. Every dollar of that will be matched, and if you're a new donor, we get a bonus on top of that. We're nonprofit. We don't sell ads. This is what keeps us going and what keeps our newsroom uh, keeping the public's business public. Thanks again.